one of the other things that attracted me to the industry is that you get to sell happiness as a product, which is just delightful. People are very rarely angry or upset when they're getting beautiful beauty products. Natalie Mackey is the founder and CEO of Winky Lux, a beauty brand with an emphasis on clean ingredients and colorful whimsy. While working in corporate finance, Natalie began to explore entrepreneurship, first with a financial consulting firm, and then she started the company that is now known as Winky Lux. Tune in to hear how Natalie shares her secrets to her success building a viral brand. Coming up, Natalie shares her entrepreneurial journey that led to the launch of Winky Lux. You'll learn why feedback is critical to a successful product, how Instagram helped Winky Lux grow their business, and finally, the secret behind Winky Lux's channel strategy. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Natalie, we are so excited to sit down with you and hear all about your Entrepreneurista journey and story Prior to starting your business, did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit? Did you know you wanted to start your own business one day? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to see you both. I did have an entrepreneurial spirit. I think I was an entrepreneur from the time I was like 12. I mean, I like most entrepreneurs, I'm sure like y'all as well, I babysat and had jobs early on. And then I started my first company when I was 16. I went to this huge public high school, this massive school that had about 4,000 students. And if you took the bus to school, it was really, really long. And so I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday and I started um, doing like an Uber pool service. I love it. (laughs) I have. have, So I would pick, I would do two runs in the morning and I think it was $3 a trip. And my brother and sister are twins and they were two years behind me. So they were freshmen when I was a sophomore and they were like a marketing machine. You know, they had, they, (laughs) that was how they earned their ride to school and back every day was they had to, you know, get, they had to bring in business. So that is so funny. So wait, you were in school, so you had to do all of these rides in the morning before yeah, you actually yes. had to get to school yourself. <laughs> yes. You're hustling. So yeah, you were the original inventor of Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I remember being at a party, I don't know, in um, sometime in like the very early 2000s, pre-Uber, and somebody said, wouldn't it be great if there was a car service that would pick you up and take you to anywhere you want. You could just call them on your phone, but it wouldn't be like an actual car service. And I just remember saying, oh, it's a terrible business. I used to do that in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Only made $3 a ride. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What happened next? So take us from the car business. When did you start your next business? Well, I started my career after, I mean, I worked through college and then after school I started, I worked in finance And I did that for about four years and then left and started my first company, probably with precious little knowledge now that I look back on it. And 
I found two partners and we started this consulting company. And so I used, you know, what, what little knowledge I had after my brief, but brilliant finance career and started really advising a lot of consumer companies on how to set up their financial projections and their P&Ls, how to think about structuring their debt and things like that. And I look back and think, I didn't have that much experience, but I definitely had more experience than they did in that particular place. So I ended up I ended up working with a lot of consumer products companies, particularly in tougher industries like fashion, mm-hmm. where it's a lot harder to monetize and it's it's a it's a tough industry. And I got to through that, I got to work on a lot of collaborations with beauty companies, companies like Estee Lauder and various beauty manufacturers. And I thought that is such a cool industry. This is just the coolest industry. I love it so much. And I really wanted to be in it somehow. I just had kind of like an industry crush on it. How did you get the idea for Winky Lux? And when did you launch Winky Lux? So Winky Lux has a really interesting origin story because I had just left the consulting firm, which is actually still in business now and run by one of the original partners. And I really, really, really wanted to get into this space. And I thought this space had a lot of opportunity. So I convinced one of my very best friends, Nate Newman, who had just sold his company to move to New York City and start a beauty marketplace. And so I don't know what Nate was thinking. At the time when I talked to him, he said, no matter what, I'm not going to start another company right now. (laughs) What type of company had he just sold? He just sold a consumer electronics company. Okay. And he built it over 13 years. He was one of my my friends that we'd met in college. He was like one of my friends who had started something so early and he'd been building it for such a long time and he had all this knowledge. And I was like, "You, you know, we should do this. We should do this beauty marketplace. That was the idea. And at the time, marketplaces were really sexy. And this was 2014. And everybody was really hot on the inventory light model and cut to most of them have gone out of business. But at the time, it was a very trendy topic. So we thought there was opportunity there. I ended up convincing him to do it. He moved to New York City. We started this thing. And in the meantime, while we were getting it into beta, we said in order to monetize this, because it's really marketplaces are really run off of, at least ours was going to be run off of an affiliate platform. We need to have something to increase the margins of the overall company. And so what we'll do is I'll call one of my buddies who's in manufacturing over in New Jersey and I'll ask, I'll see if, uh, if they'll help us do like a private label brand. And so we had never really built the brand before. We actually just had a bunch of renderings of what we thought cool packaging could look like. And it was starting to get heavily influenced by what I really liked in the market, what I thought was felt very luxurious, but I was kind of frustrated about the pricing and luxury. I knew enough about beauty to know that there wasn't a ton of quality differential past a certain point. And yet there was you know, so much money was put into marketing that there was a lot of what I consider kind of overpriced product out there. And so we, so we <laughs> cut to most of our focus is really on this marketplace. And we ended up doing a big focus group to try and perfect the UX of the marketplace. And at the time, we had 
invested a little bit of money, but not a lot. I mean, our biggest investment at this point was that we both weren't working. We were Mm. both, I was doing like one consulting project on the side to like eat. And Nate was, you know, we were both like working full time on this marketplace. And so we started recruiting people to be part of our testing group. And we ended up finding out so much. We just kept adding more and more and more people. And we ended up interviewing about 200 beauty consumers. And during that time, we discovered a couple of things. The most important thing we discovered was that no one cared about the marketplace. The whole crux of it was this quiz that you would take and it would tell you what color products to buy. And people did not care. They said it did not It didn't help them. It didn't solve any friction point. They actually enjoyed going to Sephora. They enjoyed going to Ulta. They did not care about this this quiz. But what they were actually really interested in were all these little renderings of some of the products that we had put into the the mock site. And they wanted to know more about that. And then there was another part of the, the focus groups that we were doing where we would ask people to dump out their makeup bags. And one of the things that we saw was this really interesting, and actually Nate being an outsider had a a great, he had like a great eye for it because he wasn't, he he was able to notice it as somebody who wasn't a beauty consumer, which was that we, a lot of our sort of young millennial customers who at the time were in college or right out of college, they would say things like, they would look at, they'd have a Maybelline foundation and they would say, oh, I just bought that because I ran out of my good stuff. Mm. Or you should try that. It's actually really good. And so there were all these tells that they were actually kind of embarrassed by some of these more drugstore quality or drugstore products. But knowing what we knew, we knew that some of them were actually like almost identical to some of their more luxury peers from a quality perspective. And then we also knew that this was the price point that this customer could afford. So it kind of it hurt that that was how they saw that price point. They saw it as like uh, something they were settling for. Mm. And they would have one Charlotte Tilbury lipstick or one Chanel blush that they'd be really proud of. So we kind of set out to create this brand that looked like luxury and had luxury ingredients, was a really accessible price point and was not too, it felt approachable. And again, because it was supposed to be a side project, it wasn't really, um, it was really fearless in the branding, which turned out to be kind of a gift. We named it after a dog from a movie. Um, it was. <laughs> I was going to ask where the name came from. <laughs> it comes from a movie called Best in Show. It's a Christopher Guest yeah. movie. That's my and husband's, it's one of my husband's favorite movies. It's one of my favorite <laughs> movies, obviously. And there's a dog named Winky who wins the imaginary dog show. And so, and Lux means light and luck. And so we, it was like a lucky dog. And so that's where the name Winky Lux came from. And it was just really fun to say. And it was a working name for a really long time. And then finally we were like, I guess this is the name because we started to put it on everything. So, so that's how it got started. And then I think that commitment to talking to the customers a lot and to getting a lot of feedback because that's kind of the way the business started. It became part of the DNA of the Mm -hmm. company in the go forward for a long time. And we still to this day have like incredible, we have like an incredible brand ambassador program. We have an incredible data team that really like is obsessed with getting information from our customers. So we get like these really 
twice a year, we do these really like deep dive quantitative studies where we ask tons of questions, take like 10 minutes to fill out our survey and people do it, which I'm always blown away. And I think, I think the incentive is usually like a free lip gloss or something like that, but people will spend 10 minutes telling us everything they love or don't love about the brand. And then once or twice a year, we do a qualitative survey where we'll call and talk to customers and try to understand how things are making them feel. Because for us, that was really the foundation of how the brand started. What year did you launch the business? 2015. Looking back over the last eight years, what were your proudest moments? Hands down, my proudest moments have been customer stories. That has been my proudest moments. But big launches and retailers, the sort of the usual suspects of awards. We won Target's Vendor of the Year last year. That was a really, really big deal for a new brand. That means that the team, that really is so important because it it's a show of the team's operational excellence. And so that was like a huge, huge win. For sure, anytime we see a good review, it makes me so happy. <laughs> I actually think the customer is the most fun part of beauty in general. They're the most important part of the company. And they're also the most, it's one of the other things that attracted me to the industry is that you get to sell happiness as a product, which is just delightful. People are very rarely angry or upset when they're getting beautiful beauty products. And then of course, if they are ever angry or upset, we try everything we can to make sure that they are quickly happy again. Which is very, very important with with customer service and having your customers want to continue to Shout from the rooftops how amazing you are to, to all of their friends. Natalie, when you did that initial customer survey and realized that oh, you should probably actually focus on building out this brand, did you immediately scrap the marketplace at that point to just focus on building Winky Lux? We did. And that has been a lesson that's that has, we, we've done lots of things wrong. But one thing that I think we're pretty good at as a company is my sister is an author and writes these beautiful books. And one of the things they say in the writing world is don't be afraid to kill your darlings. So you might have this idea that you're very married to, but all of a sudden it really stops working or it's no longer useful. It doesn't serve the business anymore. And I find that it's one of the hardest muscles to grow and then flex is to be able to let go of something and Mm -hmm. say this no longer serves. You don't want to abandon things unnecessarily. Certainly another thing I think all entrepreneurs suffer from is bright, shiny object-itis sort of where we see a lot of opportunities. So we want to go in this direction or that direction. We kind of want a lot of everything there. But so you don't want to just abandon something. But when you can really quantifiably say this doesn't serve, let it be willing to let go of it. Up next, why it's important to invest in your team. Natalie, we have lots of our members of our Entrepreneurs League community that are either currently raising capital, they're thinking about raising capital, or just generally figuring out how to fund their business. Can you share more about your fundraising journey for Winky Lux? Absolutely. I love talking about fundraising. So Winky Lex bootstrapped for the first two years, which was a really incredible study and discipline, but also extremely stressful. I think we look back at those two years and always have a knot in our stomach. There 
we're in a really working capital intensive industry, right? So we, if we buy $10 million worth of inventory to service $20 million in sales, we might purchase that inventory and we don't get paid until after we ship it. And there's 60 net 90, depending on what's going on. And you get financial partners to help mitigate that, that stress, but you, it's very difficult to grow without a cushion of cash when you're in a heavy inventory company. So those first two years were tough because we grew a lot. We had a couple of really viral products. We were kind of at the beginning of the Instagram craze where we were able, we weren't at the very, very beginning, but we were kind of like, I'd say like phase two of Instagram. And so we were able to use some influencer marketing with great success. Now I think that's very difficult, but at the time it was, it was really, you know, a great ROAS. And during that time, you know, we had all this sales growth and we began to talk to retail partners about how we we're going to expand with them. And, uh, and we always knew we'd have to go into retail in order to get really big distribution because for beauty, even though digital is still a really fast growing category, it kind of goes back to that first thing when we were talking about the marketplace. There isn't the same friction point in the purchasing of beauty products that there is in say fashion, right? So fashion, you have to go to the store, you're taking your clothes off. You, it takes a lot of time. You've got to try on things or sizing issues. It's just a big commitment. And sometimes it can be really fun, but a lot of times when you need something, it's just easier to go online and purchase it. And that solve, that fixing of the friction point is why I believe fashion is, you know, almost half e-commerce, not quite half, but, you know, encroaching on it. Whereas beauty is still about 90% in person and 10% e-commerce. And when you look, you break down the 10% of e-commerce, it really is being led by Amazon. So even with amazing companies like Glossier, who've built big digital businesses, I mean, you look at some of the old stalwart brands that are so big. I mean, I think Clinique is like a $3.8 billion brand. Like that, that makes all of the new e-com brands look like like chump change. And that's not even, that's just one part of the Estee Lauder portfolio, which isn't even the biggest beauty company. Like I think they're like number four or something. So it's just a huge market. And we knew that that distribution would be super important. So we started really looking for a financial partner. And I think in the beginning, after about a year, we started looking and we were hit with a lot of trepidation from the VC community. In fact, I remember one investor going, I thought you were going to start a marketplace. That was such a better idea. <laughs> this is a stupid idea. Don't do this. Well, and while you're showing all this revenue and all this growth, that's what they're saying to you? They were like, yeah, we're just not into it. So, okay, all fine and good. So we did eventually at year two, Female Founders Fund led our first seed round. And they have just been like an incredible investor. Most people who have a new Dougal on their cap table will say that. She's just pretty extraordinary. And it makes sense. Like she has amazing returns because of that. She's just like a very loyal portfolio following. But so she led our first, she was like the first, you know, fun to really believe in us, led the first seed round. And then GGV led our series A about two years later. And then we did what we called the A plus, which was a year later. 
in total, we raised about $12 million, you know, over the past seven years. So it's been an interesting journey. We've raised a lot less than some of our competitors. It sounds like a lot of money, but, you know, we've been able to like be hyper, hyper efficient with those dollars and see a lot more revenue per dollar raised than some of the industry, some of the sort of like startup industry standards. Why is that? Like, why have you, what code have you cracked that you've been able to be so efficient with spend? We've been really tough on capital efficiency from the very beginning. We've been able to use our credit partners to help with working capital. Mm-hmm. We've been able to grow through profitable channels like Target and Ulta. And Ulta, you know, tar- we're in every Target. We've four to six feet in every Target. And we have, you know, two feet in a lot of Ultas. We just expanded to 500 Ultas. And it, we have really special display. And it's a really good partnership. And our product really lends itself to retail. But those channels are much more profitable than D2C historically, Mm. with the exception of like very high AOV selling. If you're Augustina Spotter, you probably have like a really amazing, you know, if you have like a $300 AOV, you probably have an amazing digital business because you can afford to, you can afford to acquire customers, you know, all day long. Now you have a much smaller addressable market. We like this bigger market. We like being in this mass stage category, but it means that, you know, our AOV is just not as high. And with that, you have to make tough decisions about where you're going to put those dollars. And there was a lot of pressure, particularly pre-COVID. There was a boatload of pressure from, and we have great investors, but even from the investment community, even sometimes from our own investors to really grow e-com without a thought towards how we can very quickly be paid back. And what has always scared me is that when we raised our series seed, I think we talked to like 100 investors. When we raised our A, I think we talked to like 50 investors and everyone said no. And then all of a sudden we had like a compete, competing term sheets, but it took a really long time. And then when we did our A+, we started to see the market kind of like, there was like this big boom in beauty. And then all of a sudden people were kind of feeling a little bit more gun shy, especially around color. That was like sort of the beginning of this big wave in skincare. And so we're sitting there going, this is always harder for us. I mean, women raise 2% of all venture capital. It's actually gotten worse in the past two years. So try not to think about that at night because it'll keep you awake. But it is, you know, these are not self-selecting statistics. Like that's an unignorable bias that exists in the market. And there's no way for any investor to say that that's not true unless they look at their portfolio and they say, oh, yeah, we have, you know, we have a significant amount of female portfolio founders and there's very, very few. So access to capital, in my opinion, is one of the the number one reasons we don't have more C-suite, or we don't have more Fortune 500 female CEOs. I think it's a big hurdle. And, you know, we've always been nervous about fundraising. We've always felt like we needed our fundamentals straight. We had to come correct. Otherwise, we weren't going to be able to index on bravado. We weren't going to be able to like wear a blue vest and walk into a Sand Hill Road office going, this is the dopest thing ever. We're a technology company, but we sell beauty products. And if you don't get on board, you're going to miss out. We're going to be a $10 billion business next year. I mean, that's nonsense. But that's a lot of, that works for a lot of guys. Like there are a lot of dudes that walk in, they have a ton of bravado. And for some reason, 
the investment community sort of like fetishizes that that sort of that arrogance. They do not when it comes to women. So it's a tougher environment. And in a way it has been, you know, I certainly would rather it not be this way. I would rather it be as easy for women as it is for men to raise capital. But I think that one of the silver linings of it has been a big commitment to efficiency. Because again, you have to know that you may not have that to lean on. I actually had dinner with a really, really big CPG founder the other night. And um, he was like, we're going to do some acquisitions and we're going to do this. And, you know, the market's really funky, but we always know we can raise cash. And I was like, wow, that's a great, like, what an amazing place to wake up to every day. Right. <laughs> to just wow. know, like, it's fine. I can always just, like, call one of my bros and they'll stroke a check. Why were you successful in in raising in raising money, and what tips do you have for women that are raising money today? Oh, I think I, I I probably was born without the shame gene, like something I see in my daughter a little bit too. She's like very persistent and pushy. So, and and it's funny because it sometimes it, it's like not always the best thing, but I I think I just kept, I was able to separate it in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, I have a great partner. I have a great business partner and I also have a great life partner. My husband who been able to like really like cry to a lot, you know, in some of those situations where I've been able to like separate, he's, has helped me in some ways, like separate the personal because it does. I mean, if you hear no 150 times, you start to internalize that, right? And it is, it's like a muscle you learn to build where you're just like, it's all right. It's, we're just going to keep going. There are, there's like a trillion dollars of, of money in the private markets right now waiting to be deployed. Like this is a, a situation of like a match. So yeah, I just, just like, incredible person, blind person. <laughs> just keep going. You have to be resilient. We uh, just interviewed yesterday on the podcast, Andrea Ippolito. She's the founder of Simply Fed and she raised her seed rounds and then her series A about $6 million. And like you, she spoke to a hundred plus investors and she said it was her mentality shift of thinking I'm giving these investors the opportunity to invest in this business. This is their opportunity. And if you don't want it, that's fine. You're going to miss out. Like, take it or leave it. Women have, they raise less capital in spite of better returns. Not because they have worse returns. They raise less capital in spite of better returns. Like funds that have focused on female entrepreneurs have historically had better returns. So it just goes to show like how deep set the bias really is. And I don't think it's malicious in any way. I think there like a lot of investing is pattern recognition. And until there are more female entrepreneurs, it's harder to have pattern recognition. So it'll be better for our kids. You know, like girls that are born now will have an easier time, hopefully, you know, not good unless we go back to the dark ages, but it'll be better. And it gets better every year, hopefully. Like, unfortunately, the stats, they only inch up in little teeny ways. But the other thing that I think will happen, and this is like, I'm totally going down this hypothetical rabbit hole, but I think as more women become independently wealthy, there will be more of an impetus to sort of recycle that capital back into those ecosystems, which men have historically done a lot of. I mean, I think that's how every restaurant gets funded. There's like a group of guys who get together and they're like, I play golf with this guy. 
totally he can run a restaurant. You know, like there's <laughs> some cash. Why not? That's, no, I mean, we're we're in total agreement with you. And that's why we've built our Entrepreneurs League community to bring everyone together to get the resources to grow their businesses faster, make more money, be able to invest that money back in other women-owned businesses, get more women on these cap tables. And ultimately, like you said, we need more women that are investors and have the knowledge and experience around this so we can deploy more capital. And I do agree. I think it is going to get better with time, but we all have to, we all have to band together and help each other because that's how that 2% will go up to 50%. Yeah. (laughs) There's the goal. I want to learn more about what you invested in after you raised that $12 million. Oh, some really good things and some stupid stuff, too. I'll start with the, the good ones, and I'll tell you all the dumb ones. The stuff that we did that was really pro- that was really great was, like, really, we launched in Target. And we launched with this massive rollout and had these crazy display stands with neon signs on them, the likes of which nobody had ever seen in Target. So... That part really worked and it drove a boatload of sales and it was an awesome, awesome bet. And it was a big bet because you pay for your own display stands in retail. So those display stands, like we cut the check for those. What do those cost? Can you just ballpark? uh... (laughs) It's in in the many, many, many figures. It is so expensive. I mean, think about it. There's 1900 targets. So, I mean, what would a neon sign cost? I, I can't say it because what, like... I don't want someone to go back to our our display manufacturer and use that number, but it was just a boatload of money and it, it did work out. It did work out. The things that have not worked out, you know, I think we hired some people and through no fault of their own, really, we didn't really invest in backing them. So we hired like a head of content and then we didn't really build out her team we did a couple of kind of esoteric projects that were a little bit more, they just weren't thought through well, you know? And, and I think that was probably one of the things. And one of the things we also did is we were a little bit over distributed. We are, we have a partnership with Sephora Europe and, and we had, we had really too many partnerships overseas. We didn't really have the support there. And those partnerships were just not really working out because we weren't able, we were like too spread thin. So those were the the dumb things. And then the things that were, that were just kind of like, didn't work out as well, but it wasn't necessarily, but we would make that decision again, given the, if we had the exact same information, what, where we had a series of pop-ups that drove a ton of social impressions and they were really, really great. And then we built two really flashy permanent stores like right before COVID. So that sucked. And that was like just a huge pain, you know, and you went through this, all of this, this to like hire these amazing people. And then we had to let them all go. And it it was really painful, but give, that's not something I regret because I look back on that and that was like a good business decision. And we actually reopened our Nashville store and that has been going gangbusters. So it it did prove the hypothesis that when the world isn't in the total shitter, like <laughs> retail can work. And so I think that's part of our kind of like next three-year plan is to kind of revisit that and um, and reopen some of those stores. But yeah, it was a tough, that was one of the ones that we were just like, oh, we would love to have that money back to put into TikTok. <laughs> 
Talk to us about TikTok and other marketing strategies that have worked well for your business. We love TikTok. It feels like the wild, wild west. It feels a little bit like Instagram felt a long time ago. A lot of growth. Feels kind of hard to manufacture virality. Like it feels like it hits at various weird points. And we haven't really put process, we haven't really been able to identify process where we can replicate it. That said, we're kind of betting on the market of TikTok. It's like an index fund. Like we're not, we can't really pinpoint who's going to be the next big thing. So we're kind of casting a wide net with lots of influencers, trying to build that, that network, build those relationships. And then from a paid perspective, what we found from a purely tactical perspective, what we found is like spark ads have been the best for us. And but that's even in and of itself been a little bit all over the place. So I love it when someone's like, we cracked the code on TikTok. I'm like, tell me how. Sometimes they have an answer, sometimes they don't. <laughs> but but we, you know, I think I think it's exciting. It's like something we're learning more and more every day. Coming up, you'll hear more about the marketing strategies that have worked for Winky Lux. Natalie, you're a podcast listener of the Entrepreneurs Podcast, so you probably know this segment that's coming up. We are going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind. Are you ready? Yeah. How would your friends describe you in three words? Persistent. Loving creative. God, I hope. I hope they would just describe me. That's how I want them to describe me. What is your favorite app on your phone? Oh, it's Instagram still. Mine too. I, I know. I want to I want to get away from it. I want to like spend less. I have a timer on mine. I don't know if you do on yours too, but I feel like that's a big part of y'all's job. So you probably have to be that's how I justify it for myself, even though it's less a part of my job. <laughs> Do you have a favorite business tool or solution that's really helped you grow your business? Slack. That's such a lame answer, but we really, I feel like we run the business off the back of it. It's really useful. Do you have a word of the year? Persist. Finally, last rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden talent? I'm a really good matchmaker. Oh, Good to know. How many how many uh, marriages, <laughs> engagements? Yeah, I have a couple of weddings under my belt. So I think I'm a good, I'm good at that. I have a match for you to make for someone when we finish this recording. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> once once Perfect. we pause. <laughs> Natalie, what does your day look like? You know, have a family, managing a booming business. Walk us through your uh, routine. I wake up in the morning. My husband does mornings and I do evenings with our daughter. So on the weekends, we do it all together. But in the morning, I wake up. If I'm if I'm good, I'll do a Peloton workout or I'll do the app, the Peloton app workout. And then I have breakfast and then I start firing off emails. I usually look at my day and I try to do the hardest thing I have to do that day. I try to do it first because I get my sort of zone of genius is earlier in the day. So I don't want to, and I, I get more and more, what's the word? I've become more and more of a procrastinator as the day goes on. So if I get that, that one big thing out, like that hard email, that tough conversation, if I do it early in the morning, then I'm good. 
Um, and then, uh, I kind of hang out with my daughter for a little bit. She, her nanny shows up and then, um, and then they go off. She has like a play group and I start my day. And usually we, I go into the office a couple of times a week. We have an office in, in like Matt, like Flatiron area. And so it's nice to see some humans, but our, our team is mostly distributed. So it's kind of a grab bag of who I'll see when I go in that day, unless I have scheduled meetings. Um, and then I come home and I, to be honest, like I'll, I do a lot of things with my girlfriends, but I'll like go out to dinner or something like that, maybe once in a while. But my favorite thing is probably like, I don't know, watching Netflix. I wish I had like a cooler, I wish I had a cooler answer. Is there a, is there a show or a series that you love most? I feel like we just finished Barry. Oh, that's on HBO, which was funny. I don't know. I feel like we're we're parents of a, an under two year old, so I feel like we're just tired all the time. Like my husband and I, like that's like our dream. We like sit on the sofa, have a glass of wine, and watch that. <laughs> so my life is pretty chill. Um, it's mostly work and baby, but when I do go out, I feel like my network of of friends. I have a lot of friends who are also entrepreneurs, and I've become really close friends with a lot of other entrepreneurs in the beauty space, and so it's really like my salvation is to be with them. That's how I, they always say like, when you have a kid, you sometimes you like lose some of those friendships. I'm trying very hard to like fiercely protect some of that because it's like my therapy. In fact, Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think if I had to not go to therapy and just be with my girlfriends, I would do that. Like that would be better for me overall. I just, that's like where I can like complain or I can laugh and, and really release some stress. Oh, we get it. I mean, when you're running a business and you have friends that can relate and understand those same things, it makes it so much easier because unless you're an entrepreneur, you don't understand these crazy things that we go through every single day. Totally, totally, totally. And even some of my friends who aren't entrepreneurs, they just like, they crack me up. And sometimes their stories are their stories are like wackier than mine. I have a friend who's a surgeon. Her stories definitely trump mine in wackiness. So <laughs> it's just like one of those things that I think um, I want throughout my life. It's a big goal of mine to like continue to nurture those relationships because they're so precious to me. We couldn't agree more. I'd love to know if you're open to sharing, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you in business? A truck carrying our products caught on fire. Oh my gosh. And what? so what did you do? That was... Nobody got hurt, but it did kind of like melt a lot of products. <laughs> That's a crazy one. Casey Musgraves walked into our Nashville store and started live streaming one day. Oh, that's awesome. She was like, this is so cool. So that was pretty cool. That was one of a crazy thing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy every day. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, we get it. <laughs> Do you have a quote or mantra that you live your life by? I think it comes back to that persistence. I, I love never, ever, ever give up concept. I I got coached. I mean, we met through Julia Pimsler. And one of the things that she always says, which I've totally plagiarized, not plagiarized, but totally co-opted has been focus and ask for help. And I tend to get that like anxious frustration that really builds up. I can almost feel it in my throat. And when I feel that it's like a tell for me to Mm -hmm. focus and ask for help. It's that sense of I feel really lost in this moment. I feel like I need to, I need to take a step back, like expand the aperture, 
focus on this one thing, not a million things, but just this one thing, and then find the person who knows what the hell they're doing here. Or when something just feels wrong, like you get a piece of information that feels incorrect. We had, you know, some invent ghost inventory issues, which I think most people have had with their retailers this year due to like staffing shortages and things like that. And so, you know, we would go into stores and we would see a lot of inventory that was missing and we would reconcile it in the system and it would say it was there. Um, and we just kept more and more and more trying to figure out what exactly was going on. And so it, it, it was like six months of focusing and asking for help until we could really build out like a system to control that and, and do a better job there. Who do you typically go to for help? My gosh. I mean, whoever is, I mean, there's a lot of people smarter than me in different things. I would go to someone like you for social media. I would go to someone like, you know, I have a friend who uh, is like an operator, like a, a big ops person at a big CPG company. And I called him to talk through ghost inventory, investors, friends, friends of friends, people on LinkedIn, um, just to, I'll pretty much ask just about anybody. Anyone who uh, will talk to you in a community, yeah. right? <laughs> no, I look, it's why we created our community. Like you cannot build a business alone. I don't know anyone no. that's ever built a business by themselves in a house with no one helping them. We all have to be able to have that ability to reach out and ask for help and then be willing to help each other and, and share and give advice and feedback and, it's how we're all going to get ahead, how we're all going to make a lot of money and then continue to invest in more women. Right, Natalie? <laughs> exactly. Final question for you, Natalie. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It means to me, having a big part of your identity is, is part of your, uh, your builder. That's something that you just really like to do. You like to build things. And to me, I think I find like even hearing about other people's businesses really interesting and fun. And I think that that's uh that sort of epitomizes that concept of entrepreneurista, like someone who, who loves to build. Could not agree more. And we are so excited to continue to follow you and see all of the amazing things you're going to continue to build. Where can all of our listeners find you, follow you, and of course, buy your Winky Lux products? So follow Winky Lux for sure on Instagram and TikTok. We have lots of fun content, lots of fun quizzes and giveaways. And then I'm on Instagram as NatMac1. And so, yeah, I look forward to chatting with everybody. Well, we will be linking out to everything in the show notes below. And next time I'm in Target, I am going over to check out that display and can't wait to buy some of your products over there and share them with my little one as well. She's all into makeup now. I think I, <laughs> I got her started early. So thank you again, Natalie, for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.